welcome to the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. Each week we are here to educate you guys, challenge you, encourage you along your journey with intermittent fasting, keto, low carb, whatever your jam is. So you can check us out at fastinglane.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at fastinglane. Our guest this week is Dr. Priyanka Wali, America's only Indian female stand-up comic and doctor. So like <laughs> that's pretty badass, right? She is a part-time practicing internal medicine doctor in San Francisco, but she truly believes laughter is the best medicine. Hello, Dr. Wali. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Well, it's not really like I gave you a choice, right? So <laughs> what happened is I went to Low Carb Houston in 2019. It was my second time there. I went there in 2018. It's a fantastic event um, put on by Dr. Ali. And it, it's really incredible. It has all kind of medical, brilliant speakers. Um, but I will tell you that sometimes the information is so intense and so astounding and so serious and about diabetes and about heart conditions and, and all this, it, it gets to be a lot, right? You're there for three days and it's really intense. And Dr. Wally and I first met when I fangirled out after she gave a talk on a link between type two diabetes and erectile dysfunction. And I fell in love with her intelligence, her wit, her knowledge, and I also thought she was beautiful. Aww. And I'm absolutely thrilled that you were on our podcast. So thank you for um, letting me come up to you and, and talk to you and, and answering everybody's questions. And I just, I thought you were fabulous. Yeah, it was super great to meet you. I remember um, when we were chatting, we got accosted by, uh, another person who uh, spilled the beans on his, uh, um, I can't remember what the subject was, but he was talking Oh, I about, remember like, what the what subject was. What was he talking about? I, I got, to, no. so many people came up to me at one point. So yeah, what was, yeah, I remember something really personal, I think. Yeah. And little, so everybody who's listening, let's just tell you that this is going to not be your regular podcast where we talk <laughs> about fasting and bacon. Um, the reason I was so amazed by Dr. Wally is because she basically got up in front of an audience, <laughs> gave incredible medical knowledge interspersed with dick jokes. <laughs> and I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. Because growing up, I wanted to be a comedian. And I'm very into intermittent fasting and low-carb eating. And this is important to me. And I had just really never heard somebody deliver such important information and make the entire crowd laugh. So I admired her and I'm telling her this. And in the midst of this, an older gentleman came up and did a lot of giggling. And then he asked us about Kegels. He asked us right, about right. if low-carb eating could improve the power of your Kegel activity and muscles. Um, to which I believe I responded, well, now that you said this, I'm doing them right now. Um, and he didn't care. He really didn't care and told us many, many things about his life. And then suddenly the glamor that I had around you was like, oh, she gets to have these conversations all the time. And it wasn't quite as glamorous anymore. So tell us about you. How did you discover you wanted to go to med school and be a comedian? Like, what is up with that, you big weirdo? Tell me all about uh, yeah. it. <laughs> Definitely. Well, um, I, the reason I got into comedy was, in all honesty, to blow off steam 
when I was a resident. I've always had an artistic kind of side to me. Um, I grew up from a family of doctors. So it was like, imagine the classic kind of immigrant story, family of doctors, like, you know, came out of the womb holding a stethoscope essentially. Uh, So medicine was really the path. Like there was really no question about it. But Mm. I always had a very deeply artistic side to me that never really went away. Um, And so when I was a resident working 80 hours a week, I basically had a bit of a crisis where I just felt like there was a part of me that wasn't really being nurtured. And because of the busy hours, I knew I couldn't participate in something that required a lot of time, like, you know, um, an improv troupe or joining a theatrical group or something, because I just didn't have the hours. But stand-up was a, was a solo art. You could kind of do it on, on your own time if you even wanted to. And the other thing is that I had a morbid fear of performing stand-up. Um, it was, really? You know, something, yeah, that I had really, like, feared as a performer because it's a solo art. The responsibility falls completely on the stand-up comedian um, to make the audience laugh. So I was on this sort of, like, face your fears kick. and Love it. Um, I decided to, you know what, just uh, let me just try it out. So I, I was in San Francisco at the time and I Google searched, you know, good place to try stand-up comedy for the first time in San Francisco. And um, <laughs> the first hit that came back was this laundromat slash open mic uh, where people do laundry, but then they're, they're like jokes going on the whole time. Okay, and- so captive audience, you can't leave until you get your underwear. So like you're in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was called Brainwash Cafe. It was pretty a uh, historic kind of place. It's no longer there. It got taken Aww. over by a startup company, unfortunately. But um, so I go to Brainwash and they, you know, it says on the website, three minute sets. And so I wrote three minutes of jokes and, um, you know, I didn't think they were particularly funny. Um, but I, I was doing it just to kind of just have it done. Yeah. And um, I mean, long story short, uh, it was a very positive first experience. I got actually got offered a showcase off of that open mic. Yeah, Ah. there happened to be a producer like at Brainwash and he invited me to a showcase and the showcase was a month out and he, you know, I was shocked that I was even getting asked to do a showcase and he said, um, yeah, I want you to do 10 minutes in a month. Ooh. And exactly. So I, I did not even have 10 seconds worth of material. So right. I started, I basically decided to hit up another open mic to prep for that. And I started hitting up more open mics so I could build some time to do the plan was just to do that one showcase 10 minutes and then retire completely. But what, what ended up happening was that uh, I'd go to these other open mics and then other people would see me and offer me other showcases. And so by the time I had that one showcase in a month, I had all these other showcases lined up. And the next thing I know, I'm deep into this. And I've been doing comedy for over six years now. I've performed all over the world. And I never thought this would be my life. Like I never thought I would end up needing to like work part time because this is taking up so much of oh space, my gosh. basically. That yeah, is but crazy. yeah, it's it's nuts. It's a nuts story. And then I think things really came together when 
you know, the job of a stand-up comedian is really to push the line, to really like uh, take the boundary and, and push it. And I'm very passionate about sexual health. I mean, I think it's something that everybody deserves to be sexually healthy. And it's clearly something that we're still in our society and in the medical system struggling to really own as, as something we should be speaking about openly and freely. And I'm not really sure at what point, I, I had attended a few low carb conferences, but at some point I decided to just ask um, Jeffrey Gerber, who, who runs low carb um, conferences, I just sort of said to him like, hey, you know, why don't you let me do a talk on insulin resistance and sexual dysfunction? Like, yeah. who else is going to, yeah, like nobody's talking about this and, and I'll make it, you know, I'll make it worth people's time. And so he, he gave me a chance. He let me audition for the talk and uh, I gave it in Denver a few years back and, and it, it was well received. And I, I started to feel like this might be a nice place to sort of meld the two interests. And, and then, yeah, so uh, it's it's been interesting so far. I, I've recently just started adapting the talk to bring it to college campuses for like a younger audience, and so you know I simplify it a lot and like explain things on a on a college level perspective. And honestly, it's been great to educate youth about the impact of their diet on their sexual health because they're the ones that they're young, like they they have a lot of motivation to keep those yes. body parts active. Right. And they, they are also exposed to like the worst foods, unfortunately. So. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Our daughter is almost 13 and she'll come home and she'll say, man, people are talking about inappropriate things. And we'll say, well, you know, what is inappropriate and inappropriate really typically has to do with sex. Mm -hmm. And we're saying to her, listen, this is it. You're 12, almost 13 now. No one is ever going to stop laughing about the word penis or boobs or breasts. The rest of your life into adulthood and when you're an old person, for some reason, humans giggle about sexuality. And so I think that you've really stumbled onto something brilliant where you can help people medically and make them laugh. And like, it's just so rare. It's just so bizarre. Like, I don't know how you got here, but it's really cool. Um, and I think that these are things that people need to hear. And what we typically hear is eating poorly or eating a lot of sugar is going to lead to diabetes or it's going to lead to heart disease. And um, it's linked to such serious, such morbid, such sad things. But we giggle so much like little children, regardless of the age we are about sexuality, and I think it's, it's really neat to be able to get people's attention in this way. And, and laughter stimulates so much um, memory, right, that you're actually going to stick in people's heads. So I, I just, I thought it was really cool. So when you mentioned you're working part-time now, are you saying you're doing comedy so much you have to work part-time as a doctor? Well, it's the sense that um, doing these sort of artistic things, it's energetically a big demand. And yeah. so, you know, it's important that I take time for myself so that I can actually recuperate from the energy involved in that. And that then allows me to then actually be much more present for my patients because- That's amazing. Yeah, it's really important that 
like when I'm on as a doctor, I'm on. Like there's nothing else going on. I am not thinking about comedy. Like I am focused on the patient care. Yeah. Um, and so in order to kind of create that level of interaction, it's super important I create boundaries. And I realized just cutting back was probably the most responsible thing to do while maintaining the quality of the work. I love it. Okay. So let's, let's get to some of the, the, you know, information about this here. Um, we know that insulin is a driver for a lot of chronic diseases. Um, tell us about the connection between insulin type two diabetes and erectile dysfunction. Uh, and how did you discover this link? Yeah. So the link has always been there. The link has always been there. It's just that it's, it's making the connection. Essentially erectile dysfunction is um, one manifestation of insulin resistance at the level of the penis, or if you look at female sexual dysfunction, while it can have a multitude of causes, one of the causes that I think is not being talked about is potentially insulin resistance. Um, we know when it comes to sexual dysfunction, there can be a wide range of causes. It's a multifactorial, multidimensional issue. Um, but the, the bottom line is if a, if a physician is approached by a patient and they are complaining of sexual dysfunction, male or female, they need to be screened for insulin resistance. But nobody okay. does that. Exactly. I, I've never in my life heard of any doctor. Well, first of all, people don't talk a lot about sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And then if they do, they get prescribed something like period. Mm-hmm. And like, I've always wondered, like, since sexuality also is the mental side and the physical side, like, shouldn't you be talking to somebody? But like, people feel uncomfortable talking about this. So you're saying if you go to your doctor, the first thing they should do is screen for insulin resistance. If you're presenting with sexual dysfunction, I think it should absolutely be on the differential. I started getting curious about this because of how high uh, medications like Viagra and Cialis were prescribed in this country. Anytime there's a massive prescription of some kind of drug, it always gets me to kind of perk my ears up and ask like, what is going on a systemic level that's causing this? And so if you know about the pathophysiology of erectile dysfunction, you know that these people have, have, have risk factors for cardiovascular disease. And so I sort of put it together that we know cardiovascular disease is mm. tied to insulin resistance. So wouldn't insulin resistance then be tied to erectile dysfunction? And you know, I started delving into it. There's, there's, a, there's many papers on male sexual dysfunction and the connection with erectile dysfunction and insulin resistance and diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease. Um, and then I was curious about female sexual dysfunction as well. And I've said this in my talk, I mean, the sexual dysfunction studies are heavily biased towards male studies, unfortunately. Women just don't get the same amount of face time uh, but there, there is some evidence to point the, the, that there's a similar relationship between uh, blood innervation of the clitoris and the effects of insulin resistance on that too. So first I, of all, we need more studies for women because we deserve good, healthy sex as well, just absolutely. as much as men. So that would be amazing. I understand that there's not as many studies right now, but that's definitely something that we, we can hope for. Absolutely. I think the fact that, you know, 50% of Americans have prediabetes, um, how many of them are talking about their sex lives? How many of them are impacted by their sex lives? Um, I think one of the, probably the first patient that I ever had was a young man. Um, He was in his 20s and Hmm. he uh, was coming in 
for a checkup. And he was one of those rare cases where he actually mentioned to me that he noticed that his masturbatory erections were weaker than usual. And so I went ahead and screened him for insulin resistance and found him to have prediabetes. Put him on a ketogenic diet, reverse the prediabetes, and his masturbatory erections actually resolved. He had no issues after that. Um, that's yeah, but just like, one, first of one all, example. He had the guts to tell you, right? Like yeah. I, I'm not a doctor, but I assume the way a lot of people are, they don't they don't talk about these things to their doctor to begin with. They're shy about it. So I would right. just imagine like. I guess imagine it's hard for people to even bring it up. The other thing I'll say too, as a woman, when I weighed more, I felt emotionally and, and like mentally less attractive. And sometimes I wonder if people are getting confused with like just feeling bad about their body because they're heavier than they want to be at the moment with an actual physical you know, thing that is affecting them to not enjoy sex as much and like getting those intertwined. And I wonder how much of it is each? Like, it's, I, I understand it's like pretty tough to tell which part of this is mental and which part of this is physical. But I think there's so many things that we go through when we're not eating the way that we feel best or we're at a weight that we don't feel well at emotionally and physically. And then you, you just can't separate it and you just feel like crap, you know, and you just feel unattractive and um, you know, not, not, uh, interested as interested in sex, especially, you know, when you're in a loving relationship and a healthy relationship and you, it's a necessary part. And sometimes you just don't feel that way. And it might, it's, it's astounding to me to really sit here and think about it, how much it makes sense that if I ate things that restrict blood flow in my body and, and, and create inflammation that my body in all areas, isn't going to work as well. Not just my heart, not just my legs, but all parts of my body, like it, it, it seems so obvious. So like, why are you talking about this? And why is really nobody else talking about this? Is it just too weird? Is it too uncomfortable? Like what's, what's the problem? I don't know why people aren't talking about it. I mean, um, I, I, it's, I mean, I, I just don't know. And I don't really care. All I know is that like people need to know about this Yeah, and, uh, I think this is why I'm more, I'm getting more and more interested in giving this talk for younger demographics, because this is, I mean, honestly, prevention is key. If we can start um, helping younger people eat healthier, we're actually going to have a better impact on the healthcare system from like, even just an economic perspective, you know, you want to start putting in these healthy habits in, in earlier decades so yeah. that you don't, have the issues. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, I, and I tell, I told these college kids that, uh, when I gave the talk in, in, at Claremont McKenna that, you know, you're investing in your, a, a, a satisfactory sex life, not, you know, for like decades by putting in the good habits now, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to have sex in your twenties. It, and, but it, to keep it going to your 50s, 60s, and even 70s and beyond, I mean, that's what you're really investing in, those, those sort of golden years, as I say. Yeah. So people should be talking about this more. I think if we change the culture and you know, have more conversations like this podcast, where we're sort of much more open about sexuality, um, it, can, it can shift the paradigm. Um, there's lots of reasons though why doctors may not want to bring it up in the office. I mean, most primary care doctors are really busy and overwhelmed and seeing way too many patients and don't want to deal with another issue. 
Um, I just feel though that um, sexuality is such a intimate and important part of the human experience that um, it, it deserves to be cared for in the same way as like, you know, you want to uh, raise children in a healthy way or drink clean water or breathe clean air. Like to me, like having a satisfying sex life is, is right up there with, with those sort of basic human needs. I agree with you. So what we have learned so far today is if you are experiencing sexual dysfunction, ask your doctor to screen you for insulin resistance, for prediabetes, for diabetes, get more information and consider exploring changing your way of eating when you eat and what you eat, perhaps before you look at medicine. I'm not saying don't look at medicine. I'm saying consider a change in how you eat might alleviate some of the issues, might make you feel better. Is that, is that a fair non-medical? Yeah. I think that's totally fair. And, and you can actually listen to the talk. Um, it's, it's online. Uh, if you just Google uh, Dr. Priyanka Wali, insulin resistance, uh, sexual health, uh, that there is a slide in the talk for both men and women that, you know, prior to pre- prescribing medications, like for example, Vi- Viagra, Cialis, um, there's kind of a list of things that should be checked for. You mentioned a few of them. I would also add to that list uh, cholesterol levels should be checked as well. You should be screened for heart disease, uh, especially if you've never had any screening before. And this should absolutely be done before prescribing medications. I love it. For, for women, there's a few other issues that you want to look out for, like, um, bless you. Thank like, you. Um, for women, there's a few other issues that you want to look out for, like uh, prolactin issues, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, but polycystic ovarian syndrome, I've, I've had that, and that was because of or in association with prediabetes. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So you definitely want to be screened at those points, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the more information you know about what's happening in your body, the better. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit uh, more challenging for men because right now the, those pharmaceutical medications are prescribed wildly. It's very easy to acquire them. So Aren't I would they, say for, for men, it's, it's a, they have to be a little more mindful to ask their doctor to screen them for issues. Well, number one, like, is there a medication for women that is prescribed to help with sexual dysfunction? Like, I'm not, uh, I'm I not think, even familiar with that. I mean, maybe there is, but no, I'm. There, there is, I, I can't. Uh, well, I've yeah, never met someone who told me they were taking it. And I've definitely met men who are taking medication right. for sexual right. dysfunction. Um, and I, I had this message in my head, maybe I'm wrong, that there were some dangers around those medications for men with heart conditions. I don't, I don't know if I'm on the right track with that. Are there well, some there, there risks? are certain, um, you know, uh, there are certain tests that uh, should be done before uh, prescribing those medications. Um, and so that, that's definitely something that you, you want to speak to your physician before just taking them. Gotcha. I mean, there is a, there is a kind of culture right now where people are sort of taking these medications recreationally. And I would definitely say you really? should speak to a physician before doing Ooh. that. Okay. So I want to talk about fasting a little bit. We're, okay. you know, we're talking about the effects on this and I want to know, you know, of course, uh, most of the people who listen to the show already know that fasting has a, a positive, a huge positive impact on your insulin levels. It can reverse type two diabetes in many cases. 
Um, is it the same situation with erectile dysfunction? Like if you eat a ketogenic diet and practice intermittent fasting, is it realistic to think it would have an effect or possibly improve uh, difficulties with erectile dysfunction? You know, that's a really great question. I, I have not looked at the data behind the connection with intermittent fasting and erectile dysfunction per se. I, I don't know if those studies actually exist. Um, the, the concept is the same. I mean, I think the key with intermittent fasting is that it's really important that when you do eat, you do eat low carb or ketogenic during the eating periods. Um, because that is what's going to also make sure that your insulin levels stay quite low. Um, so in terms of erectile dysfunction, um, regardless of whether fasting is involved or not, whatever, whatever you're doing to, to reduce the insulin resistance should help the erectile dysfunction. But just as a caution that there can be other causes of erectile dysfunction of besides insulin resistance. So yeah, if, it's, if it's something related to like, Maybe it's psychological. Um, you know, the fasting and the, the dietary changes wouldn't necessarily help. Okay, I mean, you, you need to deal with it and, you know, see a, a therapist or something. Absolutely. So I guess what we're basically saying is consider, consider putting down the cupcake and taking off your pants, right? Is that like, <laughs> that basically sum it up? Because I yeah, feel like that's what I've heard. Switch out one hand for the other. <laughs> exactly, right? And we'll all be happy. It'll be wonderful. All right, Dr. Wally, tell our listeners and our viewers where they can find you online. How could they go see you at a show? Um, how can they look up your information and watch your videos? Give them all the scoop. Yeah, so uh, number one, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at uh, Wally Priyanka. That's Wally, W-A-L-I, and then my name, Priyanka, P-R-I-Y-A-N-K-A. That's one way to reach me. Um, if you're interested in seeing me as a patient, you can go to my website, uh, drpriyankawally.com. Uh, and if you would like to look at my comedy shows, you can go to my website, priyankawali.com or wallycomedy.com. <laughs> and um, the last thing I want to say is that if you want to watch the talk, you can yes. find it online. Um, you could just Google my name and then uh, Low Carb USA. And it says uh, the name of the talk is Staying on Top of the Data, Connection Between Insulin Resistance and Sexual Health. Perfect. I'm all about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so very much for being on our show today, Dr. Wally. I absolutely loved it. It was riveting. It was tantalizing. It was sexy. It was just fabulous. Thank you so much, Eve, for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much. And everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. You are listening to the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast, and you can check us out at fastinglane.com on Instagram and Twitter and just plain old website stuff and check out Dr. Wally. Thanks so much, you guys, to your health and hotness.